Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Something I hate about dating is you can hang out with a guy for five or six hours. You can have dinner. He can go back to your place. And at the end of it, he can look at you and say, hey, I'm actually not really looking to date right now. And I'm kind of emotionally unavailable. It was that final guy disappearing, closing the match. It just makes you feel really unimportant. All I know is that you have to be honest. You have to clearly state your intentions with the person and keep tabs, always check in. I'm 71 with a boyfriend. We met at a ballroom dance almost two years ago. Before that, I did a ton of online dating. Oh God, is this what dating is gonna be for the rest of my life? Am I never gonna have sparks again? Am I never gonna fall in love again? Ugh. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna not expend this energy anymore feeling bad. Okay, so dating in 2019. Confusing. Frustrating. Sometimes completely exhilarating. There can be that beautiful moment when it clicks. When you think, I have met someone. I am with someone. But how do you find them? How do you get there? From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Welcome to season two of Love Letters. If you listen to season one, you know that we spent all eight episodes trying to find the cure to the common breakup. I'd like to think we got pretty close, but think of season two as the prequel. You can't get dumped until you meet someone. For new listeners, I should tell you that I'm the advice columnist at the Boston Globe. I've been doing it for 10 years. 10 years. When I started this column, the internet felt small. I had no idea I'd wind up getting love questions from readers in other cities, states, countries, or that letter writers would keep in touch with me for years, or that I'd get to meet so many anonymous commenters in person. So happy anniversary to me, or better yet, happy anniversary to all of us, this vast community of Love Letters listeners, readers, commenters, and people who've been brave enough to ask their questions. What I've learned answering thousands of letters, occasionally with a bowl of kettle corn in my apartment, is this— While some letters are weirdly specific, most are actually pretty timeless and universal. Some questions are easy to resolve, like, should I text a 14th time if I haven't heard responses to the previous 13 texts? The answer, by the way, is no. Put your phone away. But then there are those questions about love and relationships that feel completely impossible to answer. I'm talking about the big questions. Capital Q questions. Questions that so many of us wrestle with. Those are the questions I'm tackling on this show. And this season, I've got a good one. Actually, it might be the most important one of all. All this season on Love Letters, the question we're going to explore is, how do you meet someone? I should disclose at the outset, I am not a very good dater. It's so much easier to give love advice from my couch to people who are far braver than me, far more ambitious about going out into the world and looking for a partner. I really give them a ton of credit because it's not easy. 
Courtship isn't what it looks like in the movies. And most people just don't want to swipe forever. That's why I want to look closely at dating fatigue, that wall we can hit when we feel like dating or looking to date has become a job. When the idea of opening a dating app on your phone makes you want to flush that phone right down the toilet. When dates get so exhausting that your best hope is that one gets canceled. This seems like a good moment to introduce you to Erin. I'm 44, never been married, I have no children, single professional lady. I work as a senior proposal coordinator for a sustainability company outside the city of Boston. Likes and dislikes. Live music, anywhere from metal to disco. I love art. I love movies, especially horror movies. I love cats, which is just, I, you know, after 43, I just decided to fully embrace my love for cats and uh, stop worrying about becoming a cat lady because I feel like that's something to aspire to at this point in my life. I met Erin at an event for my column. She introduced herself to me as a reader, and she seemed really cool. Shortly after that, she wrote me a letter. It said, Hi, Meredith. I talked to you at the Harpoon event a few weeks back. I wanted to ask a question, but knew I would burst into tears, and I try not to cry in public, especially at a brewery. I'm a 44-year-old woman and think I have finally given up meeting a man to be a long-term partner. I've tried it all and for years. Online dating, being fixed up, speed dating, volunteering, co-ed sports, etc., Question is, what do you do when you haven't totally given up? Signed, Unwilling Spinster. I wrote Erin back and asked if she'd tell me more. She seemed like a prime example of all of this exhaustion and hopelessness I hear about so often. I wanted to get a sense of why Erin was so burnt out and how she might overcome those feelings so she can meet somebody. I was psyched because she was willing to share. When we had our first conversation, she gave me the lowdown over pad thai. My parents have been married for 53 years. Um, they met in their 20s at a wedding in like outside Boston. And it was kind of, that's what you did back then. You you meet someone and you get married. And so I just assumed, well, I'll meet someone and get married. But, you know, I finished college and I had a long-term boyfriend. And I think we could have gotten married, but I just knew I had a lot of growing and living to do. So um, we broke up and that was my late 20s. So I assumed, oh, okay, I'll go out and date and um, and meet people, and eventually I'll meet someone that I'll probably marry, because that's what happens. But just it just never happened. <laughs> this season, like the last one, we've got plenty of stories and interviews to share. But we'll also be checking in regularly with Erin. She's going to let me follow her and try to help her through this process. For the record, Erin has tried a lot on her own. She's a city girl who was once so fed up with all the apps that she made a dating profile on a single site for farmers. Because I'm from New Hampshire, so I'm like, I'm not a farmer, but I can understand it. And I was like... If I had to cast somebody to play Erin in a movie, I'd pick the actress Katherine Hahn, but with curlier hair. When I ask Erin about her dream man, she says he'd like music, he'd be interested in the world. He'd maybe be a cowboy, a younger Sam Elliott. One of the first things we talked about was whether she still gets set up by friends. She has a big community of friends in her life. And I wondered, why doesn't she have more non-app dates? But I realized that getting set up these days by friends is pretty rare. At least that's what I hear from people. So why is that? I mean, I get it. Setting up friends and family can be difficult. It can backfire and be awkward, but it can also be so awesome when it works. I have two close friends who have wildly different views about setting people up. There's Mark, who's told me over and over that he will never set up anyone in his life. 
He just doesn't believe in it. And then there's Lauren, my friend who will set anyone up, literally five minutes after meeting them. She thinks that whether we're single or coupled, we have a duty to make connections for other people. So let's start with Mark. You find the whole idea of setting people up to be unattractive. I'm concerned that if somebody is found uh, partially clad and deceased uh, on an off-ramp somewhere, that I had set up uh, with somebody that I will be blamed. That's a hysterical version of a, a, a smaller problem that I have, and that is that I don't trust that I, I have very good instincts when it comes to what one person will like about another person, you know, relative to what I like about them. In other words, you know, I might think somebody's sort of willingness to say anything, irreverence, uh, you know, is quite charming. And another person may view that as like a kind of like a sort of a carelessness or whatever. So I just feel like it's weird, frankly, to sort of pimp out your friends, uh, which is sometimes what it feels like. Mark has been happily married for a long time. Sometimes that makes me think he has trouble understanding how helpful he could be to single people. Because he says things that imply that dating is way easier than it actually is. If I sort of imagine myself again as a 30-year-old, or how old are you? 41. Woof. <laughs> um, the, uh, and how I might go about that in terms of meeting somebody, it feels like it might be easier than it would have been when I was, in fact, uh, 30 or 40 years old. Because I, you know, I would go to, like, the supermarket. If I was single, I think I could actually get a date. If I was single and I was 30 or 40 years old, I could definitely get a date at Whole Foods. I had this plan once where I was just going to stand by the Halo Top area, yeah, you know, yeah. and just wait. There you go. That's perfect. And the first, like, guy that took five cartons, I'd be like, here we are. <laughs> Right, I think that's. Are. I think that's that seems just as reasonable as swiping left or right or whatever. The other side of this is my friend Lauren. She wants to set up literally every single person she meets. It's funny because her success rate is actually really low. One person she set me up with resulted in the shortest date I've ever had, but she keeps going. Once she even hosted an entire party just so two people could meet without knowing it was a setup. I can't remember the first time that you told me you wanted to set me up with someone. Because it wouldn't have come from me. Like, it came from you said. No, it came from me. Yeah. And <laughs> you set me up with... Two. Two people I went out with, but you tried for more. Yeah, I did. Like, I did. people in other cities. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, that just... I, and I, there's one guy who I still want you to meet in New York. There's some people who are afraid to be the matchmaker because they're afraid of someone dismissing the other person, of hurt feelings, of someone showing up and saying, I can't believe this person thought I would like this guy. You know, that's not a fear you have. No, not at all. I mean, I think the worst thing that can happen is that somebody, one person drinks water and they leave after 27 minutes. Nobody that I've ever set up has ever been angry. If anything, they've just laughed at the mismatch. I know that part of this for Lauren is straight-up empathy. She had to get through a lot of dating, a lot of bad dates to meet the guy who she wound up marrying. But the quantity, she says, was the thing. By being more open, she was expanding the range of options. And then she just got better at dating. I think of them all as, like, notches in your belt. And I think that's also, like, the approach that I 
well, I, I don't take this approach to dating now, but I think the approach that I finally figured out when I was dating was have a few people running at the same time <laughs> and also just try a lot of, tr- go out on a lot of dates. See, see what sticks, see what doesn't stick, but at least you'll have kind of widened the, the opportunity landscape for yourself. There's a certain kind of joy that you find in saying, oh, I know somebody who you'd enjoy spending time with. Mark doesn't even see that landscape for other people. I asked him to imagine meeting some wonderful single person at like a game. Would he even think about connecting that person to someone else in his life? You're at the game. Drinking beer. No, let's, okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> you meet a guy. Sausage. Having a, You're having a sausage. Yeah, having a sausage. You meet a guy. Just casual conversation. Okay. He is 41, attractive. He's making you laugh. Yeah. Single. Yeah. And you say to yourself. Never. Uh-uh. I would have to have those dots connected for me. I think I'm selfish. I think I'm not. Oh, we're, get, we're getting to it. Yeah, no, I think, listen, this is, I find this all very interesting, and it is revealing of, like, uh, I think I'm, I think I don't think sufficiently about, uh, and I certainly a stranger who I met at the ball game who seems like a nice guy and told me he was single, I'd be like, cool. Maybe you're not as hot and cold about this as Lauren and Mark. Maybe you'd be open to setting people up, but you think you don't know anybody who's right for this. This next story might change your mind. That's after the break. Michelle and her sister Robin run a hair salon outside of Boston called Hollywood Hair. They've been at it a long time. I've had this salon for 30 years now. Justine was a client of Michelle's for over 10 years. Over time, they became really close. Well, Justine has beautiful skin. Now her hair is more like a silvery gray. She wears it long. She has a bang. She's a doll. Yeah, her hair suits her. She always would talk about her relationships with me. And I think that's like normal with a hairstylist. People always talk about relationships. They talk about a lot of stuff. Justine was single, and she'd been having bad luck with men for a while. Michelle totally empathized, but she figured there wasn't much she could do about it. She would talk about, you know, her experiences and, you know, what she was doing in her life. But I never thought, oh, I should fix her up. But then Michelle's sister Robin gets an idea. There's this guy, Jim, who goes to the same salon, has been for years. Robin goes to Michelle, we should fix Justine up with Jim. Forget about the fact they know Justine so much more than Jim. Forget about the fact that these two people may have nothing in common. Like my friend Lauren, they decide to just go for it. So the first thing they do is run this by Justine. So I, unbeknownst to any of this, come in for my haircut and Michelle starts buttering me up with, we have this idea, we want to introduce you to one of our other clients. We think that you two would make a good match. Justine hears this 
and she is understandably skeptical. I tried to slam those brakes as hard as I could. I was like, how, do, how well do you know him? He's really just a client of yours. What if he's really creepy? I'm not sure about this. Nope, nope, not interested. No, I, I'm not feeling it. Then they said, oh, he has his MBA from Babson. Okay, let me quickly insert this note to setter-uppers everywhere. I can think of a long list of incredibly creepy people with MBAs. I do know great people with MBAs, too. But the point is, having one does not make you an excellent date. But an MBA was important to Justine. And I said, are you sure it's his MBA? Are you sure it's Babson? And they were like, yes. And I thought to myself, well, they don't just hand those out for people that show up there. So that is the turning point for me. There were a few things that Justine did not love about Jim's bio. One was that he was divorced. Two was that he owned a condo. And because she already owned her own home, she decided that they wouldn't be able to merge their lives. Yes, Justine was already thinking about that. It might seem weird that the MBA was the thing that tipped the scales, but single people, and I say this with love because I am one of them, can be super weird about the decisions they make about a person before they meet them. So, Justine agrees to meet. Michelle, meanwhile, is still a little bit cautious. I was a little nervous because, you know, I didn't want to fix somebody up and then lose two clients over it because, you know, things could go wrong and then they don't come back. But they go ahead with it. I said to my sister Robin, when Jim comes in for his appointment, I'm going to tell Justine when he's coming in and she can come to the salon and she can check him out, not knowing that he's being checked out. And they went into the book and they looked up his next appointment. Michelle says to Justine, you can come in and when he's sitting there waiting for his haircut, you can kind of peek over and check him out, give me, you know, yes or no. I arrived early to his appointment stood at the front desk when he came in. The salon was busy, and I'm just kind of standing there lurking at this little podium front desk. Michelle and Robin motioned to Jim, sitting in the chair. And so Jim had just kind of come in, and the bell had rung, and I checked him out, and of course he had that full head of hair. I looked at him, and I thought, yeah, that's a handsome guy. He doesn't look odious. He doesn't look like, you know, he's some mass murderer. Can I just stop here and say that I don't know what people think mass murderers look like. Like, as a category of person, I imagine there are all sorts. But in this case, Justine has decided that, like, this guy isn't one of them. Jim, meanwhile, doesn't even know he's been checked out. Will he be upset that this has been going on behind his back? Will he need to know whether Justine has her MBA? So Robin finally breaks it to Jim that there's been this plan hatched behind his back. And Jim? Well, he's totally in. Michelle remembers it like this. And she said, I'm going to give you um, her email. So if you want to be in touch with her. And he's like, "Okay, I'm game. So what happens when you have a blind date with someone where your only mutual connection is a haircut? Turns out you email for a while. You make a few phone calls. Eventually, you plan a date. As an advice columnist, I typically recommend coffee for a first date. Something quick and low stakes where you can just feel it out. Decide if the cute guy in the chair is better in person. 
but easygoing Jim has a totally different idea for his first date with Justine. He's a Red Sox season ticket holder, and he invites her to a game. Baseball games, as I am told, are nine innings, sometimes more. That is a risky blind date. Justine knows this, so she comes up with a plan. She tells Jim that she'll drive and pick him up. That way, she figures if it's a bad date, she can abandon him at the game. Of course, it doesn't play out that way. The day of the date, she picks him up, parks with him at a garage, but then he does something unexpected. To be chivalrous, he swipes the parking ticket from her hand so that he can pay it later. And I thought, oh, if I'm going to ghost him in the middle of this date by getting up and saying I'm going to the ladies' room in the middle of the game and walking straight out, I'm going to have to pay for a week's worth of parking. This whole thing is stressing her out until the date actually gets going. But then I completely forgot about it. We got burgers and a couple beers before the game, and then we went into the game, and it just was easy and relaxed. They stay for all the innings. A second date is planned, and it goes even better than the first one. People are exiting the bar and walking by us, and we're just both making out in the middle of the street. That was how our second date concluded. If you think about it, there was little basis for the setup. But that's kind of my friend Lauren's point, right? Sometimes all you need to go on is an NBA and a nice head of hair. As a setter-upper, sometimes it's just a feeling in your gut and a little risk-taking. I wanted to ask Jim, from his perspective, what made this setup work? I mean, it was evident right away that, you know, Justine is is just a lot of fun to be around. You know, she's very lively, very talkative, which is, is a good in a good way. I mean that in a good way. For the record, Jim told me he'd had many bad dates before Justine, like this one. You know, we were having dinner and I got this tomato seed stuck between two molars. And I was like, you know, you're trying to get it with your tongue. You can't quite get it. You're trying to ignore it. But you know, it just was stuck so bad. I was like, I'm sorry, this is just killing me. After a few minutes of, of dealing with that, she's like, well, I have a business card if you want to try and get it out with that. And sure enough, the business card got stuck too. Now Jim and Justine laugh about those old stories because they're still together. Actually, they're more than that. We got married at the Chaksa Inn in Sterling, Mass. So I went to my favorite bakery at the time and just asked them for a sheet cake and gave them the business card of Hollywood Hair and asked them to replicate the business card on the sheet cake. And they did. And then Jim added the tagline for haircuts and matchmaking. (laughs) I keep thinking about how this whole thing almost didn't happen. How Robin and Michelle just happened to be thinking of Justine. How Robin thought of her again when cutting Jim's hair. How Michelle wasn't even sure about meddling in the lives of her clients. How Justine almost said no to that first date. We don't all have to be like my friend Lauren, setting up everyone all the time. But we could show a little more empathy and be more aware of people in our lives and what might make them happy. If there are people you've thought about setting up, I think you should go do it. And single people, you shouldn't be ashamed to ask for help looking because you never know who might know someone. They might even be the person who cuts your bangs. Be nice to the people around you. You know, the people who are taking care of you, the baristas, the people cutting your hair. You know, tip them generously and and treat them as as people because, you know, you never know how it's going to help you. I never in a million years imagined that I would be married to the person that my hairdresser set me up with. And I'm so thrilled that I am. I, I And we still get our hair cut there and um, we love it. 
Hearing the story about Justine and Jim makes me think about Erin, who you met at the start of the episode. I wonder if the people in her life are still actively trying to set her up. Do they still know she wants that kind of attention? Do they think of her when they meet some great new person? So that's the first thing I want to do. Even though Erin has hit a wall when it comes to dating, she has to remind the people in her life that she is actually still looking. At my request, she agrees to send them an email to let them know. And my goal, if I'm being totally honest, just because it would be so great narratively, is if you meet like some amazing person and then I get all the credit. <laughs> we would name our first child Merida. Yep, you clearly would. Me and Sam Elliott would ride <laughs> off into the sunset. I would love that. Perfect. Okay, so with the end of this, with the end of this conversation, it begins. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. The podcast is produced, edited, and engineered by Amy Padula. Audio mixing, sound design, and mastering by Ned Porter. Music by APM. Our executive producers are Scott Hellman and Janice Page. Special thanks to Linda Henry and Brian McGrory. Are you trying to meet someone new? Do you have a good dating story you want to share with us? Email me at loveletters at boston.com or tweet at us using the hashtag loveletterspodcast. On the next episode, I'll explore one of the easiest but also the trickiest places to meet someone at work. Be sure to subscribe to Love Letters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please leave us a review. It helps people find us. We're online at loveletters.show. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Stay hopeful.